Welcome to the Long-Term Care Chronicles podcast. In this episode, we're going to be speaking with John Frazier, who is the member of Provincial Parliament for Ottawa South, who is the critic for health and long-term care, as well as for intergovernmental affairs, agricultural food and rural affairs, and interim leader of the Ontario Liberal Party. We're going to be discussing long-term care in Ontario. Let's So let's have a listen. Thank you so much for coming on to the Long-Term Care Chronicles, uh, John. And um, if you can just introduce yourself to the listeners. Yep, I'm uh, John Fraser. I'm the MPP for Ottawa South. And I'm also uh, the Liberal Critic for Health and Long-Term Care and Seniors and Intergovernmental Affairs. Perfect. Thank you so also much. Also the House Leader as well, too. So. Oh, wow. Okay, great. Well, there's a few of us, yeah? so there's a lot of jobs to go around. Yes, I know. You're only a few members, but still very important uh, to be part of the government as well. So the first question that I have here, since you are the critic for health and long-term care, um, the Ontario government, they announced uh, large spending in building more beds and infrastructure to house new residents as long-term care homes have long wait times. And uh, the latest designed uh, standards, according to the Ontario Long-Term Care Association, um, has half of the existing long-term care homes don't meet the physical standards in terms of the amount of space per resident and the amenities provided are outdated. Um, what would you say that, that, you know, how quickly we need to be able to change that? Well, I think, I think we have to change that. And, and you know, we're a government, we try to get a balance. Mm-hmm. I think over 15 years, it was 30,000 beds, yeah. almost split equally between new beds and redeveloped beds. Because if a bed for instance, in my riding here of Ottawa South, St. Patrick's Home, yeah. wanted to do a redevelopment, add new beds. and um, But they were 40 years old. So yes. they were still four-bed wardrooms, like doorways, and list. all the standards were way out of whack. And it made it hard for things like infection control, which you yes. see uh, right now in the pandemic, uh, The um, how exposed those deficiencies make us to things like proper not having proper infection control and uh, so it, it is critical that that um, that 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 get done, and it's a, it's a balance. You have to do both. You've got to build new beds, uh, and you have to redevelop the old ones. And we also have to look at um, is there a space that's in between that helps people to stay supported? Exactly. Maybe in a congregate setting before they get to long, before they get to long term care, right? So people, mm-hmm. so we don't have this kind of where literally you're going from crisis into long-term care. Yeah. It's interesting because you'll see when people go into long-term care, it, it's, and I saw this with my own mother-in-law, is within about a two-week period of, of some attention, and she improved. Yes. Her condition dramatically improved. I mean, she had a decline after that, but it was, um, and that's the experience, I think, in a lot of, um, so we have to, all that being said is, I I think we have to look at how do we su- support people in their homes mm-hmm. and how do we support people to live close together in a setting that's that's going to help them get the support that they need and, and also that they can support each other. Definitely, because it's basically looking at the not only that we're looking at long-term care, but then we have to look at home care. So both of these need to be looked at together. Um, not separate entities, but together to further support because not everybody wants to 
necessarily go to long-term care. They're being forced to go to long-term care because they don't have the support at home, just like you had mentioned in your example, right, with your mother-in-law. So I think those things need to be um, definitely looked at. And what would you say, um, I know that, you know, you were part of the uh, Dalton McGinty government. And um, in terms of bringing, I guess, um, other changes, because a lot of the a lot of the residents are mostly wheelchair bound, uh, dementia. Um, and then, of course, we don't have the staffing. What do we need mm-hmm. to, you know, kind of further change, further bring about the implementation of having that reimaged? Well, you know, I, I, I think you have to understand, like, the needs of the residents uh, in long-term care have changed over the last 20 years, like, even over the last 20 years. So there's higher incidence of dementia. People have more frailty. Um, so you need to have, uh, I think, really very importantly, um, the introduction of palliative care into long-term care, because essentially almost every resident in long-term care fits in the palliative diagnosis window, right, of 18 months. That's, and so not exclusively. And so that's uh, something that I worked on uh, in, in, as a member in government um, to try to improve the, the quality and access to palliative care and long-term care homes. I think that that's really, that that's really critical. Uh, behavioral support, um, we, we took steps forward as a government. I think they were very positive, but you know, as, you know, as with all things, yes. uh, there's still more work to be done, right? You just, uh, you, you, um, it takes a lot to change um, an environment where there are 78,000 people in 626 different places. Exactly. And so, um, and, and there's a big culture change that has to happen. And it's not just a culture inside the homes, it's, it's in our culture. Yes. And, uh, and so, um, and that's one that, you know, governments can try to help change, but uh, 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 other leaders and, People have to uh, take a look at that, how we, and I think the pandemic has um, made that very clear and very evident. Uh, yeah. And uh, as we as as we get farther away from it and we look back on it, I think uh, uh, we, we have a lot to reflect on. Yes. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, we really do to really make sure that we get it right going forward. And to make sure as a society that we change, we look at things differently, we, not that this is a, something obscure, that this is something that is happening now and will be more so, even more so in the future. Now, you did talk about in terms of your volunteer experience as a, in palliative care at um, the General Hospital uh, in Ottawa. And what would you like to see changed in long-term care standards pertaining to uh, palliative care, and in particular with Bill 3 that just recently was passed um, in terms of how that can be more accessible yeah. in long-term care? So, yeah. yeah, no, I, I think uh, I think there's some work that's being done right now, about here actually here at the Burley Rito Veterans Home, about um, creating um, 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 at the point of entry into long-term care, mm-hmm. uh, admission, I should say, that, uh, that there are steps that are taken to begin that pathway because palliative care is a path, right? Yes. And so that pathway needs to start when you come in the door. And um, the, the palliative approach is one that looks at the whole person. So uh, it's not just pain and symptom management. That's a really big part of it to be able to give people quality of life. But it's like, what else is important to people? And so, you know, if I look at the two long-term care, big long-term care homes, we're running St. Pat's and, and, um, and the Pearly, mm-hmm. they have a lot 
to their their public homes, publicly funded and publicly run yes. homes. They uh, have a lot. They have recreation programs. They have a lot to offer to um, a lot of community involvement to lift up the people, lift up the residents, to give them something to um, uh, look forward to. Right. So it's you know there's um, you know we have this perception of aging that um, that a person's contributing less than than they were before, right? It, yeah, it, it's, right. You know, that's just kind of this paradigm that's there. And uh, then you get old, there's nothing to look forward to. Well, that's not true. That's it's not true. true at all. It's, you know, uh, you know, they're, um, you know, um, you know, a very quick story. My, um, when my mother-in-law was in her eighties, the queen was coming to Canada and she loved the queen. She never mm -hmm. had a chance to meet the queen. My father-in-law uh, wrote and wrote a story about how, He'd actually worked on the advance team when the queen was first uh, became the queen and never got to meet her. And that my mother-in-law had some uh, connection through her brother's uh, one of who died in the war. Anyways, long into the short, yeah. short enough the story, she actually got to Rideau Hall and got to meet the queen. And uh, just because he wrote that letter. Yes. And. And so she, like, not just like in the receiving line, somehow she got into the receiving line, not just sort of in the, and so I just remember that story and they have many more like this about other people is that there's always something to look forward to. And that's yes. the thing um, that, that's the thing we should be doing inside residences, right? Like, what yes. is that thing, that connection? It's the connection with people. It's creating things, you know, art programs are, you know, I, I, you know, for the first four years of my Christmas cards, was a pearly resident who drew a, did a painting or a drawing and I put it in the front of my Christmas card and mm -hmm. sent it out. And it was a big thing. Yep. And sometimes it was the first thing somebody painted. And, uh, and uh, now I do it with Roger Nielsen house and young kids. Uh, but it's, it was um, first couple of times it really struck me because we, we made, you know, we, we made, made a presentation to the, to, to the person in the home. And it just, again, it's underscored. It's, you know, life is like, it's about living well right. up till the end, right? That's correct. And that's the thing we got to get in our heads. And um, and so um, I think that's a really important part. You know, we, we have a, a pretty medicalized model, and that's understandable because we have a lot of frailty. But we have to treat people as a whole person and not um, a condition. That's right. Or a frailty or what chronic. That they're you know just like we do, do with. We should do with everybody else, whatever whatever stage of life. Yeah. Whatever, yeah, exactly. Because they they don't stop living because of it, right? They just they just want. It's about the quality. It's about the quality of it. And so, back on October the sixth, you had tabled a private members' bill, Connecting Care Amendment Act. So this is part of the Patient Bill of Rights um, because of COVID nineteen. And how is this anything different than Bill two hundred three? And how would residents? Well, it, yeah. It really just complements Bill 203. Like Bill 203 is a really important bill because we, we, you know, the COVID is the great revealer. And what revealed is there's all these people who are essential to people's care who don't work in a hospital or a long-term care home or a group home. And so that, that bill, uh, Lisa's bill is a great bill. Uh, she's, she's had a couple of great bills. She had another one, Dan's Law, that I, I work with her on. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I... I had, uh, what happened was um, the government passed a new home care legislation and took out a patient bill of rights. Yeah. And they said, well, we're going to do it in regulation. Well, actually, patient bills of rights 
have to have some permanency. And it's more important for them to be in legislation. Regulations too easily change, too flexible. So uh, we started to we had, had some people look at it and say, well, what are the things we need to uh, do here? Uh, what things have changed? Uh, what's, you know, from the previous one? And essential caregivers was one of those pieces. There were a couple of pieces like that. And it was just, so all my bill does is it just essentially establishes, establishes essential caregivers as a concept and a person's right to have an essential caregiver. Yes. And some, some rights around that. And, um, and I think it's really important that we, we have a bill of rights because it creates a framework yep. and uh, what people can reasonably expect and what providers are reasonably expected to deliver. And, um, and that's why I think that it's important. And, you know, as with most, uh, almost all my private members bills, I can't, I can only get to debate one every cycle, which yes. is every hundred and hundred times, but I'm just open to like, uh, if somebody wants to take that bill, someone says, John, I'd like to debate that bill. I want to put my name on it, or I want to take that bill. And there's some reasonable prospect of it getting, you know, there's a pathway to get a pass. Mm-hmm. I'm good with that. I mean, oh, to yeah. me, it's the, it's get the idea out. And then, um, you know, we did that with defibrillators and Franz Chalina and Robin Martins. So uh, that's what I'm hoping with the patient bill of rights is that, you know, the government will look at it or another member will look at it and say, I think that's important. Yes. Can I, can I take this and can we try to get it through? And, and so, because uh, it's not, you know, this is something that, you know, I really think everybody agrees on. Um, uh, and so if we can all agree on it, can we just like, can we find a way to, to make it? Make it make to make it work and to put it forward. So, yeah, that would be excellent. And even if it doesn't come around this time, I hope it does. You know, it keeps going getting presented until it does uh, become part of the legislation. And well, then, go ahead. Yes, Mary. no, I've I have one. I have I have a couple of bills that I've presented for the third or fourth time, mm-hmm. uh, not uh, related to WSIB for uh, people working in retirement homes and group yeah. homes. So there's some equity and an, another one on. Uh, protecting a passenger safety and so the trick is just keep reintroducing and having yes. there's an idea and a concept maybe you get to debate them and you can get the legislature to pass it or somebody can take it or the government can look at it and say we'll change this or we'll put this in regulation so exactly. it keeps the idea out there so. yes and it keeps it yeah. on the uh, talk on the table so it's always yep. still talked about so which is excellent yeah now, I know that you had indicated that you we were more so behind the full independent inquiry as opposed to the commission and what would you say in terms of like the difference as to why there should have been an inquiry instead of a commission at this time? Well, I think I think, this, I, I think uh, we we still should have an independent inquiry because I, I think that the powers of an independent inquiry are very clear, and there's a very clear distinction uh, between um, uh, between that and a commission, and um, in terms of independence, and you know, quite frankly, uh, justice. And so it's there's. There's justice for those families. There's justice for those people who have suffered and died. And, uh, you know, we, we did that in, in Walkerton. You know, we did that in the mall collapse. Um, so this is, you know, this is right now it's 2,500 people who, who passed away in long-term care. And, uh, and it deserves to have a hard look and an honest, open, um, as they say, shine the light. Yes. Uh, shine the light on it. And provide some justice to families now, and and you know I think the long term care commission um, has really uh, done some things to talk about what needs to be done right now. So I don't want to diminish it in any way. There are a number of recommendations. 
uh, about what needs to be done in long-term care right now, the government hasn't reacted to. I know mm -hmm. that we'll talk about it later, but big yeah. announcement the other day. And, um, and well, there's, you know, there's things around infection uh, prevention control, okay. having somebody who, who is just there for resident quality, you know, all the time, permanently full-time, uh, issues around the leadership and management right now during the pandemic. So, I mean, I could go and get into the weeds and all this stuff, but I think the commission has laid out some things the government has not responded to. And um, so, you know, I think, I think we should still have a, an independent inquiry be, because at the end of the day, I'm not sure, you know, um, the government's delay in responding to those and to a number of other things has caused excess mortality and yeah. suffering, no yeah. question. Yeah, because they've they've already the commission's already come out with two recommendation, two major reports already, and there has been no action uh, to either one of them. They're just really repeating what has already been said um, by the public or by most um, uh, community organizations at this point in time. So, well, and and they, you know they've requested thousands of documents that the government's still withholding it, and it's the commission. Yeah. So you know they appointed some people who have um, uh, some experience mm -hmm. and some. Um, um, some qualifications. And so I, I know that they're taking their, the, the job, even with the limits yes. of the commission, uh, seriously. And, uh, I can tell that by, by looking at the recommendations, which is you need to do this and you need to do it now. Yeah. Uh, and it's, um, you know, um, I find that it's, it's, it's disturbing that the government, you know, in some ways is, um, I don't say under, undermining the commission in the sense of, well, we're not going to give you those, you know, We've they've, they said we've given you the documents, and the commission yes. says no, you haven't. That exactly. kind of stuff, you know, just that says uh, you know we need some independence, right? Yeah. To, to where there's an ability for uh, an inquiry to force the government to disclose. Yes, and to get the information out there, absolutely. And now on November the sixth, your response to the Ontario budget. Um, you said that the government still hasn't guaranteed the uh, full four hours of direct nursing and personal care per resident per day. Yes. Um, now, would you agree? Cause this is very similar to what the uh, RNAO had indicated in terms of their minimum work hour uh, in terms of the four hours, direct nursing and personal care for each resident per day is yours the same as that or more for in terms of what should be the minimum basic guarantee? No, I, four hours of care is yeah. the thing that we've been working, you know, that's been, talked about and worked towards uh, for a long time. And so, you know, when I, when I look at, you know, you know, one of the challenges when you have a change in government, you start on a trajectory in a certain way and the new government comes in, they take everything apart and yep. rebuild it, um, as I say, in their own image and likeness. Um, and, and, you know, one of the things that I feel the government should have done is just like continue with the work that's there, build on it, change it, make it, you know, uh, make it new and improved, accelerate it. You know, it, it's, when I look at that announcement right now, we're too far out. Yeah. Uh, and so, and it's good the government's attached some money to it and and firms their commitment. That's a good thing. Yes. Um, the, the question is, are we going to get there or not? And the next piece to make long-term care, number one, the first thing we have to do right now is protect residents. And the recommendations that the commission is making to protect residents right now aren't happening. The government's not responding to those. So if you want to make long-term care a desirable place to work, you have to start right now. 
It's not four years from now. It's not, it's not, you're not, we're not going to do it next spring, right? Mm -hmm. We're not going to do it next September. We have to start right now. And the way that they start right now is by responding to the needs of long-term care homes uh, that the commission has so clearly expressed, right? And the needs of residents, more importantly, the needs of residents. And so, um, you know, we're at a funny time in politics right now is, is um, as opposition parties, your job is to ask tough questions. Mm -hmm. And, um, and, and, but, but what people, what people want are answers and they, they, they don't want to see us fight. Yes. They, I, I just, you know, that's just my, my take on it. And so, you know, it's, you know, I want to encourage the government. Uh, I want, I, I want the four hours to succeed. They need to do the things that have to be done right now or they'll have a really hard time succeeding. So. Yeah, and that will be the, the major challenge. But as long as everyone can be able to come together to be able to discuss it and then to be able to move forward with it, right? Because that's what we really need at the end of the day and uh, to bring everybody to the table and have a proper discussion to be able to move this, you know, again, move this forward. Yeah. So, well, we, yeah, we've all agreed on, we, we've all, the unanimous yep. legislature has unanimously voted for it. So it's how do we, you know, how, uh, how do we make it happen? Yes. Um, as quickly as we possibly can. And the way to do is start now. Yeah. Yeah. So. Absolutely. And, and I guess part of that discussion would be that uh, not only for that four hour piece, but as well for the training that goes into um, for whether it's be the registered staff, whether that's nursing, the registered practical nurses, the PSWs, uh, social work, um, again, palliative care, all of that would have to be looked at in terms of adding that additional training because that training piece is key and sometimes they don't have that when they're working in that type of environment. Would you agree? Yeah, no, I agree. No, and it's interesting because, um, you know, I've seen, uh, I visited a home in Ottawa, not on my riding, mm -hmm. uh, that um, I can't remember the provider, but they provided a $500 bursary to oh. anybody who worked in the home every year if they took training. Wow. And they backfilled them, and they mm -hmm. weren't a they weren't a um, they weren't um, a nonprofit home. Oh wow! So, so it was actually uh, the, what what the what the home understood was my people, our people, mm -hmm. are our most valuable asset. So we have to keep investing in them. Yes, and um, and so um, that has to happen. You know, it, it, that has to be the attitude of, of the employer. Um, uh, that has to be the thing the government demands of an employer. Yes. You, you have to, and supports, you know, it's not just it's creating pressure, but also supporting employers to do that. And, uh, and so, because, uh, you know, it's, it's um, um, uh, my former boss said to me once, he said, it's amazing how important that person is who's taking care of your mom because you can't. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Right? Yeah. So, um, you know, and I think COVID has made that really very clear and evident to everybody, the value of the work that people do in long-term care and home care and all sorts of personal care. It's, yes. um, uh, it's, it's rewarding work, but it's really hard work and, uh, and it needs to be valued. Yes, absolutely so, does. Yeah. yeah. Because uh, once you value people, um, they'll give you back as much as what you've given them, right? So oh, 100%, yeah. we, we really do. And then part of that uh, value process in terms of what the current wages, that's the other thing um, for workers in long-term care. 
How much would you, I guess, would say in terms of what would need to be a, a decent wage and what mm-hmm. potentially should that increase kind of look like for the government? Yeah, well, I, I think the thing is right now the governments, they, um, they, they give a $3 raise, yeah. which is a do- which is dollar less than they gave for pandemic. I think pandemic pay is the starting point. Uh, I think the $4 an hour is the point at which they should have started and should have continued. Yes. Um, and because the work is still arguably as dangerous as it was in March uh, in many homes. And you're going to need to be able to recruit and retain people. And I think that, you know, one of the things that you should do from there is if you're going to give people the possibility to train and up their skills is that you start to look at, well, are there inside classifications of uh, just like with RNs and, and um, you know, in our range, you can find that in terms of when people upskill, yes. there's, there's kind of a scale there. So is it the same thing at RPNs? I, I'm not sure. I don't yeah. think so. PSWs, you know, is there, you know, if a PSW um, acquires a palliative skills, I, I remember mm-hmm. I actually was in a home, actually the same home that I went to where they had that training uh, bursary and the PSW was the, the lead of the palliative team. Oh, wow. inside inside the home because she actually had the skills like she didn't she had the leadership skills to yes. be able to do that right so if somebody has that leadership skills and they're leading a team you should recognize that yeah. right there should be a, they should be compensated differently that's uh, you know that's how we do things everywhere else yeah so you know it's um that you know it, that shows people um um that you, it's an acknowledgement uh, of their value and worth. Yes. Uh, it's not the only one. No. Uh, but it's an important one. It helps. It also helps you retain people, right? So if people are get have good benefits and they're getting decent wages, mm-hmm. and their working conditions are good, they're not going to go anywhere. But if they have have to take three different jobs, yeah. And uh, the conditions aren't good. They're, you know, it, it. No matter what field you work in. That's right. You know, you're not you're going to have a hard time staying in a place where you uh, maybe feel that the work that you do is not valued or actually acknowledged. Yeah. The simple acknowledgement of it, you know, is um, is a big piece, too. Right. Yeah. Because that that goes with their empowerment as well. Right. So they feel more engaged within their uh, role that they're doing. And so during the second wave, we're still hearing talk of, you know, lack of PPE supply. Uh, at some facilities, what would you say to this in terms of why we're still, you know, it's now December and this is still an ongoing discussion talk and being brought up about? Well, I, I you know, I, um, I, I get concerned about the lack of, of leadership in terms of making that a priority and then looking at leadership. I'm not just talking about the top inside the ministry in Toronto, but if you look at the regional leadership, yes, right, who, like, um, I know we had, I was talking to somebody about this the other day. I don't know the answer to the question. I know we have a dashboard for hospitals. Mm-hmm. Okay. So in most regions, there's at least in my region, they have a dashboard for hospitals, right? So yep. they know what's going on in all the hospitals all the time. They want to make sure the flow is good. Are we doing the same thing in long-term care right now in terms of are we actually looking at where are our greatest risks? Yeah. Right? This this pandemic is 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 you know we're we're managing risk, and so. Um, you know, who's confirming at the top that the things that are supposed to be happening like PPE yeah. or infection prevention and control 
or the proper transfer of people to other facilities, whether that's happening or not. Like someone's got to be take charge of that. Yes. And uh, and because, um, you know, it, it's um, it's just simply that's the way it's going to work. So it just I I think that that. Um, you know, I, I, I look at leadership for that. I, yeah. I, you know, it's, I'm not saying that it's easy. Mm-hmm. What I think in this pandemic, the thing that showed us is that you need a leader. Somebody's got to make that decision. Yeah. Someone's got to say, have you checked this? Have we done that? Right? You're responsible for this. So that structure and that leadership, whether it's one people or two people or three people at the top uh, and people with their own responsibility, that, that leadership structure regionally, yes. I think, is, uh, is really critical to making sure that those homes that are greatest at risk um, have the things that they need and that their challenges are addressed. And we, it yeah. seems that decision, there's a lot of delayed decisions. So you have families calling for some intervention at Madonna here mm-hmm. in Orleans and Ottawa for three weeks. Right? And then, you know, by the fourth week, it's it happens, right? Well, yeah. the problems that were there just got worse over four weeks. You could see the direction it was going to head in. Yes. And so, um, and those delayed decisions um, have, um, you know, not having PPE, it, it just leads to transmission disease and other, um, and the consequences of that, which is suffering and, and yes. unfortunately sometimes dying. Yeah. yeah. Which is not, uh, you know, not, not the way that anybody wants to, uh, you know, to no. pass on and, and, and for the families to, to experience that is just not a very good memory uh, in their minds as, no. well, as well. So I know no. it, during the second wave, Ottawa was greatly impacted in terms of COVID-19 cases in long-term care. And what were your constituents telling you about what needs to be changed uh, in long-term care? Because we had like West End Villa, yeah. We had extended care. I know they're not in your particular. Starwood, yeah. Yeah, Starwood. Um, but, you know, what are what are people letting you know? Well, you know, I just, you know, it, it's a really interesting thing. It's, it's kind of an, um, an inverted problem. At the Pearly Rito Veterans here in mm-hmm. Ottawa, um, there are 100, actually now it went up, 120 single rooms that are vacant oh. out of 450. Right? So I had a constituent that I keep walking by Pearly and the rooms are empty. Yeah. Uh, and so I was really surprised. That's a big number, uh, given mm-hmm. all, you know, given that there are people waiting in hospitals and home yeah. and, and uh, pe- you know, there's some really very, very sad situations. And and so, you know, the reason that is, is that, you know, out of a home with 450 beds, 1,000 staff, if you have one person who is a, is isolating at home with COVID? Yes, because they got tested. You don't do any admissions. So there's another piece, which is we have to look at how do we manage risk across not just in long-term care but across society, right? So yes. I know of a couple where um, the the uh, husband is taking care of a, a wife who has kept her at home as long as he possibly could mm-hmm. because he loves her. Yeah, of course. And he wanted to do everything he could for it. But, you know, sometimes people make those decisions and and then they find themselves in a situation where I waited too long. We yeah. all do that, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, how, how do I explain to them that, that you know, how does, how does that make any sense to them, right? So that, that they, that there seems there's space, you know, maybe you, half of that space would be. So 
that's one thing that came up. Uh, and I think that's a problem we have to address. We have to look at how do we, how do we manage it, you know, um, and how, and actually how many rooms across Ontario are, are vacant and how many, like, how can we reasonably find a way to manage the risk across, not just in the long-term care homes, but across society. Right. So that, that's one, that's one thing. Um, definitely the level of care, definitely the level of care, um, we don't have as many access problems that we has as we had in the first wave. You know, mm. the first wave was just all I can't get in. Yes, and um, and so you know, and and now it's um, you know, uh, I think that I think you know, I know that um, there's still challenges that exist around the province, uh, but not definitely not as um, uh, not as acute as it was in the spring. And so I, you know, I think I think people are reticent to put their loved one into long-term care. Yes. So, um, and I think that that's something that will linger. Um, and so there'll be a, a lot of work to be done to lift up long-term care and, uh, and make those changes. They're going to make, to take away that reticence to do that. Yeah. Um, challenges around home care. Mm-hmm. Actually find home care where that's actually, that's yeah. a bit of a, um, not a bit of, it's an untold story. Yes in uh, this pandemic and you know it's harder to uh you know long-term care homes are kind of geo-specific and uh, congregate they're easy to find so home care is spread out yeah. inside pre- people's private homes in their private lives and uh, it's really hard to measure yeah it's hard to measure and hard to see more importantly hard to see so uh we're gonna have to turn our minds to that uh uh, because there's also, you know, a, a challenge with, um, there's going to be a challenge with, you know, competing, I know the, the pandemic, the increase I think is spread across all PSWs, Yes. but there's going to be, uh, there's going to be a competition for support workers in different sectors. And there's a lot of work to be done to recruit people. And, and, and I think to support families who are, who are doing their best to, uh, um, take care of their loved one at home or a friend or a, you know, that's, that's the other people who talked about at the beginning. I think yep. we have to look, fixing long-term care is really important. Part of fixing long-term care is how do we fix it in the community that's right. so that uh, we put less pressure on the system. And, uh, and so, you know, you know, they've in mostly in European com- in countries, they've just, they've figured out different models of how to, uh, how to live together, right. How to yes. support people in communities and, you know, I, I think it's some form of congregate living or living close. Or you see some of that in Ontario right now with seniors' villages. And, yes. Um, but then there's a the whole question of affordability and access. And uh, quite frankly, I think the public um, the models reflecting that care for the elderly or us as we age is a public good. Yes. Yeah, because I, I don't think that we can be able to sustain the model currently um, as because the population is, you know, getting older and that is yeah. you know, some of the baby boomers. So that's going to, you know, almost double in size as to what is currently yeah. uh, happening. So whether or not that model of building these warehouses will be yeah. sustainable uh, model moving forward. Right. So yeah. yesterday's. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a, yeah, it, it's a challenge. Something it became. Yeah. 
uh, Epic for governments, you know, uh, you know, the model that's going to change in the late nineties, I think it was, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it just, um, you know, the, uh, the governments didn't incur debt and then the places, you know, in other words, you could build a long-term care home, you know, you know it's like it was cookie cutter, right? Yeah. So if somebody's building five, two, they're building 20, right? And that's right. All the pieces that are in place. So you could do it quickly. So if you're behind, that's how governments, you know, uh, it's much harder, you know, for St. Pat's. And I worked on St. Pat's before I got elected when I was working for the former premier. I mean, that took us about just two and a half years to land mm-hmm. um, how the funding would work with the with the organization because they hadn't built anything in 40 years. Right. Yeah. And so they weren't. Um, so if we're going to get to a, uh, I think we need to get to a way where we incent communities to build long term care to provide the governance and the, um, the solutions yeah. to caring for our elderly. And to, to do that, um, you, you've got to find a way to support them, not just with money, uh, exactly. but with the uh, expertise. And, um, and so I, you know, I, uh, you know, I think that public good and the connection of public governance is really important in, in, in the care that we deliver to people, whether it's long-term care, home, a hospital, yeah. a hospice. So it definitely, that's sort of getting into the weeds a bit. Sorry. No, 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 that, that's fine. That's fine. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, but I mean, lastly, in regards to the announcements yesterday by the government announcing the changes or what they're going to be putting forth. Um, and, but that won't take place for another four years, 2024. What's your stance, or what do you think of what uh, the government announced yesterday? Well, you know, I, I, the thing is, is I think um, uh, I think it's it's given. Um, look, it's it's good to see that, that they put some dollars and a commit and uh, and a commitment to it. The plan's vague, and I, even if you just go simply to pandemic, the the PSW wage increase. Well, there's nothing about it extending past next March. Yeah. In that document, right? I think it would be there. It's kind of a big first step. So uh, I think that piece is missing. And, I, and you know, it's, it is something that the commission said uh, that the government needed to do this, and uh, which I think it's not surprising because it's been being said for a while. Yes. And uh, I think what the government needs to do is focus on those recommendations that the commission has made that immediately will... Um, make seniors in long-term care or people in residents in long-term care safer around infection and prevention and control, around having a quality person there, around choice and transfer um, to patient to patients, uh, to not patients, especially say residents. And so they, they made a number of recommendations. And I think that's the first, I think the first step is really confirm the PSW, you know, just say, yeah, that's not going to stop. Yeah. Because um, there was a six-week gap this summer. They should do that. And, they say, and we're going to address all these things that the long-term care commission is saying right now, because they're not just about right now. Exactly. They're, they're about going, it's about improving for the future. And that will be the indication to me that the government's serious about addressing mm-hmm. the issue. And so I don't, you know, this, you know, I, um, I don't want to doubt them, but yeah. those are the tough questions. And that's what, you know, that's, um, that's what they have to ask themselves. And that's why we, you know, from in opposition parties, ask them, um, um, because they, you know, they're, those are, they have to, they have to, uh, they have to address those things. You're not going to get to where you want to get to if you can't, if you can't do the things you need to do right now. 
Exactly. And this is where, yeah. and right now is where everything is happening as well. So we need to have a plan as to what's going to be taking place now and yeah. in the future, just like you had said. So how can um, either cons- constituents within this province be able to further make sure that, you know, keep the, uh, keep this on the pulse for the government and, and well, hold them I, account yeah. to make yeah. sure that they actually do the changes that they're going to be doing? Well, I, you know, I think one of the things that, uh, that people can do uh, as, a, as a good start is if you can, become involved in your local long-term care home. If it's, uh, you know, a publicly um, funded one, uh, if, you know, um, not publicly funded, mm-hmm. but um, a non- not-for-profit or a municipal home, or if there's a private home that, that's going to provide that um, kind of support. Any, uh, so, but anyway, just number one, become involved. Uh, write your members. Um, continue, you know, you just, the thing is, uh, we, you know, there have to be right now, those things that need to be in place need to be there. Mm-hmm. And I think to continue, to continually press for that, but also, you know, I'm going to be frank is in long-term care. If we want to change it, we all have to find a way of becoming involved in it, right? Whether that's mm-hmm. writing a letter or whether that's actually saying, uh, maybe I'm going to spend a few hours a week at a long-term care home, or maybe I'm going to find some way to support a recreational program that they have, you know, I think that's important. And then, you know, put pressure on your members. It doesn't matter. Uh, uh, it doesn't matter what party. Yes. Right? Yeah. So um, you have to, you know, we're going to keep pushing, but there's always got to be people pushing uh, all of us. And I, um, uh, I think continuing to make this a high priority for your, for your community yep is a way to do it. And that's talking about it. That's becoming involved mm-hmm. and um, hold governments to account. You know, it's just, you know, ask in next election, you know, we, um, you know, the, the first time I, I think that I saw, you know, that it is an election issue was in the last election, but for the previous 20 years, you know, we went through, through cycles where it really wasn't elevated to, uh, and I wouldn't even say it was at, at you know, highly put up on, uh, in, in the campaign. Um, you know, there are a lot, you know, there are a lot of competing issues. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's evident that right now this one has to rise to the top. Yes. Right? Absolutely. And, uh, and so, and the way that's going to rise to the top is if people say this is the most important issue to me right now. And Thanks. I think, uh, that's, that's the best way to do it. Sorry for the long answer. No, no, that's perfect. That's perfect. No, thank you. That's really great. And I appreciate that. And I just want to, again, thank you so much for coming on to the Long-Term Care Chronicles. And um, thank you again. Well, thank you. Well, thank you very much for uh, for doing the podcast uh, because um, the message needs to get out. And I really want to thank you uh, for the opportunity to to talk to you today and just help me articulate some of the things that I believe yep. and I think are really important. Perfect. It's great to have the opportunity. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks. Take care. Thank you for listening to this episode and hope you enjoyed the conversation. Please leave a comment as we would love to hear your feedback. Please follow us on Twitter at Family Councils and Facebook at Family Councils Collaborative Alliance. Again, thank you.